Ready to break free from algorithms, vanity PR, and money-sucking ads? My name's Larissa Worstiak, and I've learned in seven years of jewelry marketing that content is the crown jewel. My agency, Joy Joya, takes a holistic approach, leading with laser-focused storytelling, impactful content creation, and strategic content distribution. This method has worked for the solopreneur as well as the multi-million dollar company, and now I'm sharing the same systems and tactics with you. Here's to standing out in the sea of sparkle. Welcome to episode 265. Today, I want to dive into the process of sifting through your jewelry marketing ideas and then zeroing in on those with the most potential to positively impact your business. In 265, the last episode, we explored the importance of consistency in marketing. Consistency isn't just about being regular. It requires focused effort, dedication, and a strong belief in your approach. It's common to feel enthusiastic about many ideas all at once and be eager to try them all, but it's also so important to recognize that attempting everything is not practical or beneficial for your business. So after you've brainstormed your marketing plans for 2024, I encourage you to revisit this episode repeatedly. It will guide you in carefully selecting and concentrating on a few well-chosen ideas, ensuring you execute them to the best of your ability. We'll be looking at this topic through the lens of Hillary Fink Jewelry, who we've been spotlighting as a jewelry brand case study. And for those of you joining the podcast series for the first time this season, I'd suggest starting with episode 252, which will introduce you to Hillary and allow you to follow this narrative from the beginning. But before our chat with Hillary today, I'll discuss how to evaluate the risks and potential benefits of various marketing ideas. I'll provide you a detailed step-by-step method to sift through these ideas, helping you prioritize effectively. Also, we'll look at how you can continually refine your strategy and maintain its brilliance using all the great ideas that you have. But before we get to the solid gold, I'd like to take a moment to remind you that this podcast has both audio and video, so you can either listen on your favorite podcast platform or watch on YouTube by searching Joy Joya. You can support the podcast for free by taking the time not only to subscribe, but also to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Okay, let's get into today's episode, My Sparklers. This one focuses on how to sift through your brilliant ideas and then choose the ones that will most positively impact your business. If you haven't yet come up with ideas that excite you, then it's crucial to arrange a brainstorming session before year end way ahead of the hectic business and personal schedules. So for this session, you want to allocate as much time as possible, either alone or with your team, to freely express all your ideas for the upcoming year. And I recommend setting aside a generous amount of time, not just an hour or two, because brainstorming often needs some warm-up to really get productive. And it can be challenging to transition directly from other tasks, like all the things you have to do in a given day, into brainstorming mode, since your mind needs space to switch gears into a creative idea idea generating state. 
So here are some tips for brainstorming that I really like in case you haven't gotten to that step yet. And then you'll be able to take all your great ideas and sift through them. So of course, make sure you're choosing the right environment. So pick a setting that's comfortable and inspiring, that won't have any distractions or interruptions. Really encourage openness at this time. So you wanna foster an atmosphere where all ideas are welcomed and no judgment is passed. And if you're a visual thinker, then this is a good time to use visual aids, like maybe a whiteboard or sticky notes or mind mapping tools, which can help you connect ideas and kind of see them in front of you. Include diverse perspectives too. If you do have the luxury of brainstorming with a team, ensure there's a mix of roles and experiences and even different personality types to help enrich the idea pool. You also want to record everything, whether that's having a note taker or you're taking notes or even record yourself and or your team members speaking. And I really like using an AI tool like Otter to um, transcribe those recorded notes as well. And there are AI companions for Zoom meetings too if you end up doing like a digital meeting for your brainstorming session. And focus here on quantity rather than quality. So you wanna aim for as many ideas as possible. Don't worry so much about whether or not they're feasible. That quality and refinement part can come later on. So now that you've got your amazing brainstorm out of the way, let's talk about filtering through your ideas. So first, you wanna evaluate risks and potential benefits of your ideas. So this is the stage where you're gonna be making a lot of notes and doing a lot of reflection. But before you get to those actual notes, you wanna spend some time, and the end of the year is a good time to do this. Think about the current trends in the jewelry industry. There are so many industry publications out there where you can go do this research. I would start to think about How have your customers been behaving this year and how do you expect that to shift next year? What have your competitors been doing that is either frustrating you, inspiring you, challenging you? All of these insights really form the foundation for your risk assessment. And then you can decide if you're going to go against the grain or you are you gonna swim with the current? And definitely know your goals also for 2024 because no idea in the world is going to be a good idea if you don't know what you're trying to achieve. Okay, so now for the note-taking part. So you have your big brainstorm. And then for each idea, I want you to think through factors like cost, time investment, required expertise, potential market reception, and then evaluate in your notes, could be bullet points, just like initial thoughts. How does each one of your brainstorm ideas align with or deviate with these things? What are your impressions? How does it go with established industry norms or customer expectations? Again, every potentially feasible idea should have some kind of impressions or thoughts 
about what you know or what you can like predict about the future. Then you want to assess the possible outcomes of each idea. So again, you're not a fortune teller. You cannot see, you know, into the future, but I think you can make some educated guesses. So what would the outcome be? Would it lead to increased brand awareness? Would it lead to more customer engagement? Could it get you more sales? And then are those things in line with the goals that you're trying to achieve, whether they're short-term or long-term for brand brand growth? Again, make notes. And if they are not in alignment, then they're not right for you right now, even if they sound cool and fun. I know it's tempting to pursue ideas that sound really interesting, but you have to um, practice some restraint here and know what's actually going to work for you. And if it's a more edgy or out-of-the-box idea, then weigh the risks against the potential benefits. So what could you stand to lose? On the other hand, if you were to be successful, what are the benefits you could potentially gain? And after you do this process, if there are some ideas that immediately even if they're kind of cool, they don't sound feasible or doable right now, I don't want you to throw them away completely, but add them to a list for future consideration. And that way they won't clog up your filtering process or serve as distractions. But in the future, they may help spark some more exploration. And don't forget or lose about, lose this, don't forget about or lose this document that you make with your future ideas. Okay, so now that you have notes, you have some potentially feasible ideas, I want to walk you through a step-by-step method to sift through your ideas so that you can prioritize effectively. Because as a business owner, you only have so many resources, so much time in the day, so much budget. First, make sure that list is organized. So during this time, during the brainstorming session, during the vigorous note-taking, your idea-generating process may have gotten a little bit messy. So you want to take everything and try to organize it, try to make it coherent so that you can kind of score and prioritize each idea without getting confused or overwhelmed. Now you want to establish a criteria that will help you rank your ideas. So this is going to be different for everyone. You need to decide on the criteria that's going to make something a good idea for your business. For example, for your business, the best ideas may be cost-effective, relevant to your target audience, actually feasible to execute given maybe you have a small team or not a lot of extra time and they're aligned with your goals. So write out whatever criteria makes sense to you, like what's going to help you decide that something's a good idea. Write those things out on a piece of paper, like a score sheet, and place that somewhere where you can easily see it so that you can cross-check it as you assess your ideas. And then have a scoring system. It could be something like one to 10 of how well your idea meets each one of your criteria. And the best ideas that check the most boxes will maybe be a closer to a 10 or even a 10. The ones that are interesting but don't meet the criteria, they'll be closer to a one. 
So I want you to spend time going through all your ideas and kind of scoring them based on how well they match your criteria. And at the end of this, I think anything above a six or a seven is worth keeping on your list for more consideration. But again, don't just throw out the other ideas. Anything that's below a six, put them on your file away for the future list. Then you got to take all these best ideas that you have and prioritize them because you're not going to be able to execute on all of them all at the same time. So this is a fancy word, but usually you would go to use a prioritization matrix. I know it sounds like Keanu Reeves is going to be involved or something, but (laughs) it basically just means like you have a square. In one corner of the square, you have high impact, high effort. In another, you have high impact, low effort, and then low impact, low impact, you don't even want to bother with those. So you just want to pay attention to the ideas on your list that are going to have the highest impact or potentially highest impact, and then decide, is it going to be high effort or is it going to be low effort? And the ones that are high impact, low effort, those are your no-brainer ideas that you're going to want to start with. And then you can literally put blinders on and ignore all the others for now. Don't let yourself get distracted by them because they're just going to throw you off course. And then maybe your favorite high-impact, high-effort ones are for later in the year or in a few months from now. But now that you kind of have wrapped your head around the ones that you like, you can make a plan for how you're going to get to the high impact, high effort ones rather than worrying about them or putting them on a perpetual to-do list that never gets done. So how can you continually refine your strategy and maintain its brilliance using all these great ideas that you have? Well, as you move forward throughout the year, you may even want to sprinkle in some lower priority ideas that are low effort. So again, don't throw them out. Maybe they would be good for testing, but with the realistic expectation that they may not have a tremendous impact on your business, but will let you almost have like experimental ground to do some new things. And then learn from both your successes and failures to make and make sure you keep a log so that when next year comes to an end, you can reflect on all your ideas and have a clearer brainstorm session for the following year. And then try to figure out some ways to gain more customer feedback as you go and get more comfortable with asking customers for their insights and their impressions so that you have a system to test like the impact of these things in real time and actually with real people, with your real customers. So in our upcoming chat with Hillary, we'll be talking with her about how she assesses her own ideas before confidently confidently moving forward with a new one. Hey, Hillary, how's it going today? Hi, Larissa, it's good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited to talk about how you come up with new ideas in your business and how you innovate without 
like alienating your customers or confusing them really, which I know is something jewelry business owners can struggle with sometimes. Sure, let's go. So when you're thinking about a new product that's maybe like a little bit different from what you currently offer, do you have a specific way that you approach the design and development process? Yeah, so generally new ideas just are kind of rolling around in in my head before I do anything. And uh, then if it's something that needs to be, that's a little bit tricky, like certain components are tricky or there's mechanisms or proportions that need to be worked out, then I'll sketch. And, um, but a lot of times I just kind of get right into the, into the metal. And if I'm confident in what it's going to be, I'll go ahead and gold. But if it's something where I'm like, hmm, I'm not quite sure, you know, I'll do it in silver first, especially if it's a proportions kind of a thing, or if it's a, a mechanisms kind of a thing, um, or like a kinetics kind of a thing, like some of the earrings that are in my hand hammered collection. Um, they need to, you know, they need to lay the right way and move the right way. So, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta make sure you're, you're getting that right before you work in gold. Now those silver pieces are, are they ever shown to clients or is that more like internally for you to understand how the product will work? Um, it depends if it's earrings, maybe I just make one you know, and then it's not really a pair of earrings. And then those just kind of end up in little, little scrap dishes I have around my studio and end up at the refiner. Like I have little, these little copper bowls that I've hammered out over the years. And, you know, that like when I'm like, hmm, maybe a chain links like this would look good, you know, I'll, so I just have lots of little doodads hanging out in my studio. Um, but if it's like, you know, if it's something that looks nice, if I, if I got it right in silver, then sure. But um, I don't, tr- I don't finish, you know, I don't like finish it or put the finishing touches on it, on it necessarily. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And then besides maybe like the mechanical or functional aspect of it, is there anything else that lets you know, okay, this is a go, I should move forward with it? I just, if it feels good, I just go with it. And I have to say, I've put out some pieces in the past where I've had to kind of redo them little parts of them, you know, even after they've been on my website for like a year, just because something's still bothering me. I'm like, Oh, that's what I should have done. Like, it might not occur to me right away that, you know, Oh, that earring hook should actually be like that instead of having a jump ring through it, you know, like little connections and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I guess I'm just not too precious with all of that. And I probably should be a little bit more. Um, but a lot of times I just, I just kind of go for it. Yeah. I think that's a, a good attitude to have because, you know, there's the opposite of that of getting stuck in like perfectionism and then like not making anything either. So I think it, I think it's a good way to move forward. Yeah. It's, it's fun. And I, I wish I had time to design lots of new pieces and come up with new designs, but I haven't been doing that as much lately anyway, unfortunately. So what are some examples of ideas that did not make it <laughs> to the customer? And then why did you decide to scrap them? Sure. So a few weeks ago, I was working on this wooden bangle idea that's been bouncing around in my head for a very long time. And I think I talked about this already, but um, it's, I just don't have the right tools. I mean, if someone would have had like a camera recording what I was doing 
what I was trying to do with this hunk of like very hard acacia, they would have just been like, it would have just been totally embarrassing. Like I definitely was <laughs> not, did not have the right tools for that. Um, so anyway, I still have it as a example of what not to do. Um, but it's, and it's not that I've scrapped the idea necessarily. It's just that for now I've scrapped me making it. And maybe it's me working with a woodworker or maybe it's me actually just going to the store in Berkeley that, someone recommended and me getting the right tools. Um, but it also took a lot of time and I was like, okay, I don't have that much time to just mess around with this. Um, so that's, that's really the latest one. Um, like I said, I've, you know, I have like lots of little scraps and things like that in, in little dishes, um, like little chain parts and things like that. But so much of my work lately has been working with stones and because I'm just in love with stones and, you know, the stones really dictate the design. So um, a lot of it has, I guess it hasn't been that experimental lately, or I can see it clearly enough in my head of what needs to be done that it doesn't end up being scrapped. Yeah, that makes sense. I do know, though, every once in a while, you kind of throw something new at your customers. So tell me a little bit about those products. Well, um, I mean, I guess a few years ago when I came up with the captured orbs, that was pretty much a game changer. And that was just me seeing, you know, one of my stone dealers, you know, putting up these beautiful orbs on Instagram. And I was like, oh, those are so cool. I, I want some of those. And then I sat around for a few days looking at them and I was like, how am I going to, what am I going to do with this? You know, and then it came to me what to do with them. And um, I gave it a try. and it's been a great success since then. So that was probably the best example of a new product that really kind of changed the trajectory of my business. Um, I mean, I'm going to be coming up with some cufflinks soon. I'm hoping I can put them out in a couple of weeks. So I'm really excited about that. That's a totally new idea. Although I, sh I guess I shouldn't say it's totally new. I used to make cufflinks back in the day in the early 2000s. Um, I used to make enamel cufflinks and I used to make, um, wooden inlay cufflinks. Um, but these will be a little bit different, a little bit different mechanisms and designs. Um, yeah, I just, I never know. Honestly, I don't, I don't really know what I'm going to make too far in advance. Um, I guess it just mostly comes from like the stones that are in front of me or how much time I have. I love working with challenging stones. So that's kind of something I look for because that is, that's definitely where a lot of like creativity and challenge comes in. Do you mean stones like opals or do you mean like softer gems? Is that kind of what you're talking about? Like strange, like different shapes. Oh, different shapes. Things, mm -hmm. Yeah. Things that might just be a little bit unconventional in the shape or, you know, working with the faceted stones. I guess that's another new thing that I've started to do that has really just been with custom work mostly. Um, and I'd like to start integrating faceted stones more into my regular work. Um, I plan to buy some more of those at Tucson this year or with one of these, um, this really great gem dealer here in San Francisco downtown that I've been, been looking at some of her gorgeous stones. Um, so that's, you know, that, that changed things up a little bit too. And, the, and again, that's just a, like, you know, looking at the stone and going, okay, how, since I don't do prong settings and, you know, things like that. I'm like, okay, how do I do this? You know, it's really just about like the, the simple engineering with 
my capture design, you know, how to, how to capture different types of stones. Yeah. One thing that was interesting, well, I think we all thought it was interesting when you did a recent like opal orb release, I feel like it was maybe two months ago, and you introduced like a hoop with Mm -hmm. a charm on it. And I know that was a new thing for you. And we were Mm -hmm. all kind of surprised that your customers didn't respond to it. So I'd love to know your perspective on like your... (laughs) thoughts about what might resonate with people versus like actual responses you get. And even on the flip side, maybe something surprises you and how people like respond positively to it. Yeah, I am. I mean, I guess the thing that I never know what people are going to respond to. I mean, except for like, you know, people love opals, people love tourmaline, things like that. I feel like I'm surprised every time I put something out. I'm like, oh, that that one sold. I wasn't expecting that one to sell. or right away, you know, um, you know, I guess it's really just about like, if it sells and people seem to want more, great. I'll make more if I can, if I'm able to, but you know, with those opal, um, orb hoops, I really think it's one of those things where people need to, they need to wear them. And so I am sending some of those to one of my galleries because once they're in and I can't remember if I got any pictures of them on a person. That's my other thing. Like it's, I, I don't always have time to get model images. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would just really feel like those are the kind of thing that once someone puts them on, they're like, Oh wow, those are cool. And then they know that they can like take that charm off and maybe put another charm on. And I keep having this idea to do just like an earring charms release, but for some reason I just haven't prioritized that. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't get too bummed out if something doesn't resonate with my, with my customers, if anything, it's just, that's just a good indication of what works and doesn't. Right. So it's good information if anything. And I, I really like what you said about how now, okay, the next step is to send those to like one of your retailers or a gallery. Cause you know, or you think, Oh, this would be better if someone tried them on. So yeah, totally. (laughs) It could be the presentation. It could just be like how people are seeing things. So there are so many factors involved when you're like Mm -hmm. introducing something new. Yeah. And opals are notoriously difficult to photograph. So, you know, I, I don't think I, I don't think I have the best photos of those hoops, unfortunately. Anyway. What have been some successful tactics, tactics you've used in the past to introduce new ideas or products concepts to your customers? Instagram. I mean, it's basically all Instagram. That is, you know, the main way that I reach my current customers, new customers. Um, So either it's, you know, putting out new pieces in my feed or in my stories, putting out the process pictures as I'm making something new. And I've, so, you know, this has been an issue before too, where I get really excited about making something new and I'll like post all these process pictures and then it doesn't work. And then I'm like, you know, like maybe (laughs) I shouldn't have posted all those process pictures for something that doesn't work. Like the wooden bangle. I was like, Oh, (laughs) I think I just have this like, I mean, now I'm like, there's just totally delusions of grandeur about how awesome. (laughs) 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 And I, I showed all these videos and I was like, Oh, that's, it was pretty bad. (laughs) Um, so sometimes I'll hold those back now until I know the piece works and then I'll put out the, you know, the shots as I'm making them. 
Mm -hmm. So I just get really excited sometimes, but really, you know, it's all through, to me, it's just all through Instagram. And then of course my weekly newsletters are, are great, but for introducing pieces, Instagram is really where it's at. So one thing that I'm curious about is in jewelry, in this industry, like trends are sometimes a motivator for customers. They can sometimes dictate what's popular. Of course, not all brands are like trend driven, but I think, you know, you still kind of have to pay attention to like what customers are gravitating toward. I'm curious if that the awareness of trend even in among your own customer base, does that ever impact like new ideas for new products you'll be developing? I would say I pay attention to what gemstones people are gravitating toward. And I feel like it really hasn't changed much in the past few years. I mean, it's still like opals and um, pearls. I'm surprised that pearls are still popular. Um you know, so I'll pay attention to that because I think that's actually really important. But mm-hmm. generally, I try to not follow trends in terms of designs that other jewelry designers are doing. Um, I think that's pretty problematic. I don't want to copy other people's designs. And I know that we're all influenced by each other because we can't help but see. I mean, there's certain jewelry designers where I just don't want to follow them. I don't want to see what they're making because I love their pieces so much. And I'm like, okay, I can't know. Yeah. Um, you know? Um, so I really try to not follow actual like design trends. Something that does inspire me though, and I know a lot of jewelry designers feel this way, but like when I went and saw um, the Egyptian, it was like an Egyptian pharaoh exhibit at a gallery or a museum here nearby and the jewelry that was in that show. Now that was inspiring. You know, I mean like that, I feel like that is okay to take little pieces from and, um, you know, to inspire my own design. So it's stuff like that, that will inspire me a lot. When you do put new stuff out, do you have a way of like, gathering feedback from customers does that play a role or do you just kind of get like a vibe (laughs) from from what's happening I guess it's more like you know if it sells then I know um also on Instagram how it's received then I know that okay well that worked and I should make more of those like these little like the orbs clearly and then um the you know the anhydro ring so I'm putting out you know a bunch of anhydro pieces in December And then um, just lately that like little tourmaline trio charm has gone totally bonkers on Instagram. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I I mean, I've made those, I I made those over a year ago. For some reason it's this green one, right? It's like, sometimes it's just the colors that people really go crazy about. So um, I'm definitely going to be making more of those. And a while ago I had a stone cutter cut me a bunch of little, ovals to make more in and just like lots of different colors. So um, I need to get busy on making some more of those as well. But yeah, I really think it's just how things are received on social and through sales. Definitely. Well, thanks, Hillary. It was really fun to learn more about your creative process for new ideas. And I hope it resonates with listeners. Absolutely. Thank you. This is fun. What did you think about the interview? Are you excited to follow Hillary on this journey? 
I highly encourage you to check out Hillary's website, hillaryfink.com, and follow her on Instagram at hillaryfinkjewelry. I'll put the link in the show notes as well. And let me know in a podcast review or YouTube comment what you think. All right, let's get into the gold mine. This is a segment of the podcast where I get personal and share insights on entrepreneurship, mindset, success, growth, all things business. And this week, I'm excited to delve into a fascinating topic that marketers often discuss, including me on this podcast, and that is the need to stand out in a crowded market. So I recently came across an intriguing article slash cartoon online that sheds light on this issue, and I want to share it with you. So you may recall, if you are a regular listener of this podcast, I talk about The Marketoonist, and it's um, a cartoon that's created by Tom Fishburne. He's the brain behind this. He's a marketing guru, and he likes to kind of share his insights on marketing trends through these like witty cartoons that kind of capture his feelings and really are high impact in sharing with business owners and other marketers what he thinks. And I'll, if you are interested, I'll put a link in the show notes. So in his latest work, Tom humorously criticizes business owners and marketers who overlook their mundane messaging and instead believe that pouring more resources, more money into their marketing is the solution instead of considering that their content, that their messaging is boring and lackluster. And this often leads to misdirected questions about our marketing strategies, where the emphasis gets wrongly placed on increasing investment, throwing more money at things, instead of addressing the core issue, which is that your storytelling is boring as all heck. (laughs) And I was particularly interested in... There was a little interview with Adam Morgan, and this person's a marketing research who's currently working on trying to quantify the quote-unquote cost of being dull. Essentially, how much do businesses lose by being uninteresting? And if you out there value concrete data and you have a hard time wrapping your head around the value of having an interesting story, well, this researcher and his colleague discovered that dullness, boring marketing is costly. It's wasting your money because it demands much more effort and money to make an uninteresting message stick compared to a compelling, interesting one. And there's a silver lining here for small business owners. So if you have a limited budget, you may actually be at an advantage. Research shows that campaigns with bigger budgets are often less creative than those with fewer resources. And this really presents a unique opportunity for smaller brands to outperform their size as long as you can overcome that temptation to play it safe and you have the courage to do something more interesting. So if you have a limited marketing budget, do not lose hope. Throwing money at a problem isn't always and probably never is the solution, 
especially since research indicates that larger companies often spend more on uninspiring marketing messages, thinking that the money will solve their problems. And the real key lies in enhancing the creativity and innovation of your message. And I'll just leave you with some words from Kevin Lynch, who is the founder and the former creative director of Oatly, which is a brand of oat milk. He says, quote, your biggest competition isn't other brands in the category. It's indifference, end quote. And in competitive markets like jewelry, it's not just about outshining other brands, but also about capturing the attention of your audience who's easily distracted and has a lot of other things that they need to be paying attention to. So what do you think? Let me know in an Instagram DM, podcast review, or YouTube comment. Did you have questions about today's episode? You can always email me Larissa, that's L-A-R-Y-S-S-A at joyjoya.com. If you love this podcast, please share it with a friend who'd appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe as well as leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you're completely new to digital marketing, then you'll want to purchase and read a copy of my book, Jewelry Marketing Joy. Visit joyjoya.com book for more information.